I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, July 18th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the State Department of Health will now grant religious exemptions for childhood vaccinations to attend school. Then the state lottery has brought in more than $122 million in taxes. About $40 million will help teachers. Plus, an aerospace company in Columbus is working with local colleges to inspire and attract engineers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Parents of public school students in Mississippi can now request religious exemptions for the vaccine mandates. Mississippi has the highest kindergarten vaccination rate in the nation, a result of the state's requirements for public school enrollment. A federal judge handed down a decision earlier this year that required the state to allow religious exemptions. It was part of a lawsuit. Our Will Stribling speaks with Dr. John Godet, associate professor at William Carey University and former pediatrician in Hattiesburg, about the new policy. Well, I was very disappointed, uh, as was a number of uh, physicians and advocates that I've been working with for years to protect our uh, vaccine programs in Mississippi that have been in place for decades and have protected children around the state. It's uh, one of our best health metrics. It's something that we do well, that we are ahead of most of the rest of the nation on, And, and we have mainly been working through the legislature to keep that vaccine protections in place for our children, Uh, talking to them, educating them, talking to legislators about the benefits of vaccination and why we need to keep things the same. But then a group out of Texas uh, filed a federal lawsuit. Federal judge uh, basically put this religious exemption in place and mandated it, and it basically took it out of the hands of Mississippians. Uh, so I, I think it was a big disappointment uh, and, and not good for protecting the health of our children. And what do you think that says about the effectiveness of this policy as far as keeping preventable disease out of schools that even ultra-conservative legislature like ours that is in general skeptical or even hostile towards mandatory vaccinations kept, kept this law on the books for so long? I think health care in general and vaccines specifically should not be um, political hot potatoes. Um, These are basically things that we do to protect the health of our children 
that are um, you know rigorously studied and based in science. And I think, and I've always had the utmost respect for the legislators willing to keep it out of the political arena and something that they're continue to look at it in terms of health and safety. And then for it to sort of come down uh, 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 like an edict from the federal court, uh, I think it just doesn't end around uh, our legislature and school teachers and, and, and Mississippi physicians and parents. And I was very disappointed in that ruling. Yeah. And, and what do you think the, the impact of this ruling is going to be for our kids in our schools? You tend to see uh, the lowest rates of vaccine preventable, preventable illnesses in places where the rates of vaccination are high. Uh, for instance, uh, Mississippi has not had a case of measles in years, even decades. Um, and in other areas of the country, there are uh, little uh, outcroppings of measles occurring around the country. And it's generally in populations where vaccine rates are low. Uh, and some children cannot receive vaccines due to health issues or due to their age. For instance, measles vaccine is not given until somebody reaches the age of 12 months, usually. Um, and so those little babies uh, are going to be relying on the other children and adults being around them being vaccinated. Um, and so, uh, and actually, Miss, the United States has begun even having cases of measles originating within the United States. Uh, usually, uh, a case of measles is, you know, imported, let's say, coming in uh, from somebody who's traveled internationally. Well, we started to see uh, cases of measles cropping up here and there where there is no recent travel. Uh, and so that points to the fact that um, spread of these diseases within our population is starting to become more common. And measles is a very highly contagious illness and a very dangerous disease. Um, it's one that we want to keep. Uh, suppressed as much as possible. And to keep those rates low, we need to keep our vaccination rates high. Now, if you look across the mainline religions, um, uh, there are no prohibitions against vaccines amongst the standard, the religious faith that you may be most familiar with. Uh, uh, most of them uh, are, you know, agreeable about vaccines. But then again, someone's religion is very highly personal. So, you know, there may be people who have an issue about vaccinating their child, a sincerely held religious belief. But I think that those things are are less common in Mississippi. Uh, but time will tell. We shall see. What does that look like for you and your practice? And have you had encounters in the past with parents where they might have been a bit skeptical and or not fully understood the need for vaccines and you were able to provide them with the context Yes. I mean, it happened all the time. Now, I will tell you, if uh, if a parent chose to not vaccinate their child um, and they got their information from a source, uh, what an Internet or friends or something like that, they many parents, I think, may have been hesitant to bring it up with me because they felt like all I'm going to try to do is twist their arm and and uh, and argue with them and force them into, you know, uh, going against their wishes or whatever. Um, and so uh, I think a lot of parents were always uh, pleasantly surprised maybe when if they did uh, bring up the matter that they didn't get uh, 
a bucket full of judgment. Uh, uh, actually, what they got was a a conversation, and and so, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe other people feel differently about it, but I think most physicians are, um, you know, accustomed and comfortable with talking with people, having difficult conversations, uh, coming and talk, approaching the subject and meeting the patient halfway, wherever they are, let's, let's, you know, let's talk about it. And, you know, some parents would bring it up and, and then still uh, not vaccinate their child, but then would bring it up a second, third, or even fourth time. You've got to have the, the will to have those discussions and, um, and you've got to have the desire to have those discussions. And, and, uh, and frankly, I embrace that because, you know, as a physician, I wanted to be able to have sort of a shared decision-making model with my patients and like say, yeah, this is what I recommend, but be able to say why. Um, and I think when, when the door is open for that, then parents, they're going to be more comfortable when you're talking with them about, you know, another illness or surgery or medicine or something like that. It needs to be safe to have those discussions. And I, and I hope that parents who are listening to this report and thinking about not vaccinating their children have the, uh, the will and the desire to open up those discussions with their child's doctor, because I, I hope at least that you'll be pleasantly surprised and find that you'll have uh, a ground for a very fruitful discussion. Dr. John Godet is an associate professor of clinical sciences at William Carey University. Up next, the state lottery is handing over millions of dollars to fund and help teachers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB, the number four car. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The state lottery has announced tax revenue for 2023 will soon be transferred to the state budget. During fiscal year 2022 through 23, the lottery brought in more than $122 million. The first $80 million is allocated to road and bridge projects. The remaining funds go to education to help teachers. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Kelly Riley, Executive Director of Mississippi Professional Educators, about the difference the $42 million they're going to receive through the education fund can make for them. I think that's great news for our classroom teachers throughout the state because, of course, those EEF funds um, – they fund the legislative appropriation for classroom supply funds that are made to teachers throughout the state. So, of course, um, you know, higher revenues mean um, more resources for our classroom teachers in schools and for students. What are your thoughts on the way the lottery has been able to bring in additional revenue for teachers over the past few years? 
I would like to credit Representative Alice Clark for her wisdom and as well as that of the legislative leadership for designating lottery revenue for specific needs in our state. I think um, that the designation of those funds helped with the passage of the lottery, and of course that has additional funding. Um, as you mentioned, you know the first $80 million goes to our roads and bridges, which I think we would all agree on, um, need you know, a great deal of resources and, and repair and just um, constant, you know, work and maintenance. And then um, to to establish that $80 million threshold where everything after that went to school, um, you know, to schools throughout our state. I just think that was very wise, and I, I think it probably um, increased the support for the lottery. And, of course, we've seen since the lottery was implemented that that is exactly what has happened. Those funds have not been diverted to other um, you know, needs, and they have gone to our roads and to our, our public schools. On the topic of diversion, what is it like for teachers to be able to see this funding coming directly to them as opposed to having to wonder if they're going to be able to get their budgets for the next year? I send a weekly email out to our membership, and I just included in this past Friday's email that EEF cards had been sent out to districts and that each teacher will receive $672 in classroom supply funds for fiscal year 24. Um, you know, there's been a great response to that, both via emails back to me, but as well as on our Facebook page and on other social media sites. You know, teachers just want to do what's best for their kids. So when they were not receiving as much in classroom supply funds, they were spending their own personal funds out of their pockets to purchase the resources and the supplies necessary for their classrooms. And so it's it's a morale boost to our teachers. It's a vote of confidence in the work that they are doing in their classrooms and you know on behalf of their students. Can you talk a little bit about the EEF program? What does that stand for and how can that how is that revolutionizing or how is this funding revolutionizing what teachers are able to get, provide for their students through these materials? So EEF is an acronym for the Education Enhancement Fund. That is a, a state fund that was set up when casinos moved into our state. The revenue um, from the casinos go to fund various state needs, one of which is classroom supplies throughout the state. Again, just as I think it was smart to designate lottery revenues for our classrooms, I think it was smart when gaming was being considered that education you know, was among the, the state services that was funded with the EEF funds. You know, unfortunately, in, in some past years, those funds have been diverted to other um, state needs, and so teachers have not received as much. But I'm excited to say that in, in the past few years, there's been a concerted effort among legislators to, to send as much as possible to our teachers on behalf of you know, their students. $600 sounds like a lot. How can this change a classroom for the better? Well, I mean, certainly there are sometimes manipulatives um, or special resources that can enhance and support 
support, um, you know, a classroom lesson. There are some regulations, you know, that these these funds cannot be spent for furniture, you know, but it's it's to enhance a teacher's lesson and the educational experience of students. Sometimes it's copy paper. I mean, something as simple as that that you would think, you know, a classroom would have as as much as they need. That's not always the case. Um, And so, you know, a teacher can use his or her EEF card to to purchase that. This funding will be supplementary to the other funding that the legislature has set out for schools in the coming year. I know we've seen a lot of focus on uh, increasing school spending over the past couple of years, whether it be through teacher salaries. The Senate this year was interested in fully funding the adequate education program. Uh, what are your thoughts on seeing this funding in, as a supplement to some of the other budgets that schools are looking at? most critical is, is full funding of the Mississippi Adequate Education Program because it covers the basic cost, um, you know, that being the cost of staff, of classroom teachers, of transportation, of textbooks. But this this can oftentimes be the difference in a teacher being able to buy something that is really going to grab the student's attention. It might be manipulatives or supplies for a classroom science experiment. You know, it's something just to, to engage those kids and to make the lesson come more alive for them so that they comprehend and understand the material to a greater degree. Kelly Riley is executive director of the Mississippi Professional Educators. Up next, an aerospace company in the Golden Triangle is using local talent to reach new heights. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. At the Columbus Base Facility for Aurora, or rather Aurora Flight Sciences, engineers are developing new ways to keep planes in the air. Among their most recent announcements is an automated aircraft that can refuel other planes mid-flight. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Luke Colville, Vice President of Manufacturing and Aerospace Systems at Aurora. So Aurora Flight Sciences is overall an aerospace company that's uh, owned by the Boeing company. And here in, in, uh, in Mississippi, in the Golden Triangle area, we're a uh, manufacturing site where we, we manufacture advanced materials, primarily composite materials, carbon fiber, that sort of thing. Uh, and large aircraft structures uh, for other for Boeing and for other major OEMs. Why did y'all choose Mississippi? Specific answer it was before my time. You know, the site's been here for about 15 or 16 years. But in general, it's been a great opportunity for us and a great location for us. There's great partnerships with the local schools and, and universities here. Overall, just a really good workforce and, and good place to, to have an industry like this. 
Yeah, Mississippi State University is pretty well known for its aviation unit. Uh, what's it like having that resource so close to y'all's facility? No, it's, it's fantastic. So we work closely with Mississippi State University. Um, they're one of our key partners in everything that we do. Um, they they have also have their Advanced Composite Institute, and we can work closely as, as far as any new technologies or development and that sort of thing as well. So it's, that's been a great relationship for us over the years. Does Mississippi provide any other benefits for y'all to be able to look into different ways of you know, conducting business or research that y'all are doing? I think the biggest thing um, from a Mississippi standpoint that's really impacted uh, us here at this site is the support from uh, from a workforce development uh, standpoint. Uh, the state's been very supportive of us and you know working closely with East Mississippi Community Colleges, community college and, and developing workforce and helping with some of the you know the curriculum and training and funding and internships to, to be able to build a workforce that's local here in the area. I can't speak for every other state in the in the country, but the support that we get here has been just fantastic in the past several years. Something I've noticed in y'all's press releases and y'all's marketing materials is that y'all are really uh, selling Mississippi as something that y'all are proud of. Um, what does it mean to be able to celebrate those employees from a state that is often looked down upon as uh, being uneduca- uneducated? Well, my opinion is we've got some of the best people in the country building some of the best product that we uh, – in the in the country, right here in Mississippi, I think it's kind of a hidden secret. To be quite honest with you, you know that you can you can talk about stereotypes and other things, but those of us that are here and see it every day um, know that uh, that there's key resources here, there's key people here, there's great workforce here, there's great technology happening within this state. You know, my my take to everyone I talk to is you have to come and see it. So saw that y'all are currently working on an interesting type of hardware that allows refueling during mid-flight, uh, makes it more automated. Uh, what some of the projects that y'all are working on that y'all can speak about? Yeah, the, the one you're refer- referring to there is, uh, so we support Boeing on our MQ-25 program. Uh, we build all the composite skins for the MQ-25 aircraft, which is an unmanned uh, unmanned refueler, autonomous refueler that's carrier-based for the United States Navy. So that's a very exciting special project for us. It's one of our bigger programs here. But there's other programs and other opportunities that we work, you know, both within Boeing and with other customers as well. Can't really get into a whole lot of specifics about what we do, but, you know, working closely uh, with Boeing, we can develop uh, technologies from a manufacturing standpoint that we can then go design product to to make aircraft safer, faster, more producible for, uh, you know, for overall longevity. What are your thoughts on the impact that Aurora here in Mississippi is having on the aviation community across the world. The fact that we're here developing, you know, with Boeing, the product that uh, that product is, uh, I mean, that's going to be impactful not only to, uh, you know, to the MQ-25 program, but other programs in the future. Like we've worked closely developing manufacturing processes and materials that, you know, we see them now on this aircraft, but we're going to see them on future aircraft as well. What are y'all's experiences with attracting talent to be able to conduct uh, this work? We've learned over the years that uh, there's plenty of talent right here in the area. Uh, and when I say area, kind of referring to Golden Triangle and, uh, and, you know, and you know, maybe a little larger radius outside of, uh, of this area. But here in Mississippi, uh, we can attract talent in this area pretty well. Uh, we rely heavily upon you know, graduates from Mississippi State University. Uh, we've got a lot of engineers that come directly from there in their aerospace or mechanical engineering programs. Once people understand what it is we do and the, and the great opportunities that we have, uh, we're able to draw on that talent that's just right here locally. What would be your 
words of advice or encouragement to young Mississippians who are interested in the aerospace industry but necessarily don't want to leave Mississippi? Yeah, I would say I'd say don't leave Mississippi. You don't have to. The, uh, there's a good uh, aerospace community growing right here. There's uh, there's other opportunities within the state as well, but obviously I'm partial to uh, to this area and to Aurora. Uh, we do uh, we do host several camps uh, or like tours and whatnot for Camp Amp and then other uh, other kind of CTE groups throughout the summer and then during some of the intercessions that the local high schools have um, and then also we have an outreach group that works directly with the high schools here in the Golden Triangle area to get kids exposure and get them in to see what it is we do and help them make that career decision whether they want to go you know to college and get an engineering degree or whether they want to you know, do some sort of technical route. The goal, you know, my goal and our team's goal is to give kids exposure to what's what's locally available here, what opportunities are here, and then you know help help them define their path to how they uh, how they get into that world. Luke Colville is vice president of manufacturing and aerosystems at Aurora Flight Sciences. Luke, thank you so much for talking with us today. Absolutely, I appreciate it. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.